plan is to get us all the way to verse 5 of chapter 16 this morning. And as we do so, we're, I want to keep in the forefront, just as the title of the sermon indicates, the joyful gospel of grace. And in particular, that these passages that we're looking at this morning address how the good news brings us joy. You might even want to put in here another, another adjective, freedom. There's joy that we experience because we know the freedom that is ours in Christ. And this joy, in particular, is with God and with others making peace or fellowship with one another. The reason this is an issue here in Acts chapter 15 is because two cultures are colliding. We've got a Jewish heritage, the the church's birth from a remnant of Israel built around 12 apostles who are all Jews. Our, uh, the king of this movement is a, a Jew from Nazareth. His name's Jesus. But now the gospel's been taken out into a Greco-Roman culture, a pagan culture. And now you're having these pagans or ex-pagans come into the worshiping community of Jesus Christ. And there's problems. Get that. Imagine that. People got together and there were problems. Well, that's what's going on. And what this presupposes, though, is that the church is carrying the mission and spreading the good news of forgiveness of our rebellion against the Creator to different people, to all kinds of people. It means that they were taking the gospel to people not just like them. And as a result, the message of Jesus spreads and the church is to be made up of different tribe, tongue, nation, and people. That causes issues. Here, uh, a group of us, a group of seven, are going to be leaving really early tomorrow morning. 4 or 5 a.m., we got to be at the airport to go to Haiti. This will be my fifth or sixth time down there. And every time I I take a group and... uh, the same issue collides. It's, it's, it's very peaceful, but there's always tensions because us Americans are coming into another world. And some of the things that we do, we don't even think about that can sometimes be an offense to our Haitian brothers and sisters. And sometimes they do things that they're thinking as being loving and kind and sensitive to us actually makes us feel really awkward. Last trip, this really got thrown into our face. It was I think early in the morning we're getting breakfast and we come out and there's a nice table laid out, table runner with nice glass cups with napkins, cloth napkins. They were like burgundy color and they're all out there at everybody's spot. And so we come, we get our our breakfast, which I don't remember what it was, but every now and then you get, usually it's eggs, fruit, and then you'll get something with sauce. Okay, so you got sauce. Well, we grab the napkins and we wipe our faces and wipe our hands and, you know, oh, getting, uh, you know, our feet are a little dirty, let's wash them off, you know, different things like that. Well, we go out, we go on the field that day, we come back, Pastor Joseph calls me and he says, Pastor Chase, I need, I need to talk to you. Those napkins were decorations. I was like, oh. Yeah, we don't use those. It's very hard for us to clean. We use disposable napkins. 
and 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 what we had done is actually a lot of the members of the church who'd set up we had totally offended them it'd be like going over to your house seeing the drapes on the wall and grabbing it and rubbing it on your face as you're wiping your spaghetti sauce off but we had no idea had no idea and it caused a little bit of issue the way we cleaned ourselves um, drinking bottles of water. I learned this my first trip there. I'm at the church in Lanastere. I'd been running around, and I left my bag of water. And Pastor Joseph had taken me to see the new property. I was dying of thirst. I show up in, this, uh, in the church that time. I find my water. I turn it up, and I guzzle the whole thing. And then I look, and Deacon Sonny is like, you're so thirsty. And then it dawns on me. Nobody else is able to just chug a bottle of water. But yet, I just didn't consider anybody else in the state of where they were at. Well, this morning, I, I, I want to challenge us to think about what this looks like here, though. That certainly shows up when we enter a different world, but there's also a lesson for us to learn as people try to become part of this body. People we reach are going to necessarily be different, and hopefully we're reaching out to people of different backgrounds than us. Because there's a vast array of people here in southern Indiana. Just drive up and down Allison Lane and see who's walking up and down the street. There's just different types of people. And what I want to put forward is that this passage that we looked at this last Sunday, and we're going to continue to look at this Sunday, really paves the way forward. And that is how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, allows us to have fellowship with people who are different than us and bring us together. Last Sunday, we looked at really just one point, and that is kind of on the positive side that joy, true biblical joy, comes through the gospel of grace. And this creates fellowship between us and God, so a vertical fellowship, but it also creates a fellowship with one another, a, a horizontal fellowship. And this comes through grace, not through works of the law, that you can't work your way to God. You can't work your way into the body of believers. And the good news of the gospel is, is that acceptance is not based on what you bring to the table. Acceptance is not based on how righteous you can appear. No, acceptance is by the very things that we've been singing this morning, by the very blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. And so if our acceptance before God is not based on our own merit, our own work, our own doing, our own heritage, our own background, anything that we can bring to the table, if God accepts us purely on the basis of His Son, Jesus Christ, then we therefore must accept one another on the same basis. Which is very freeing. Especially when we are always looking for acceptance. We are always concerned with our own image, are we not? That you don't have to work to be accepted. That's what the gospel does. And where I want to pick up on this is, is in really in verse 19. And just press through just a little bit more on what this looks like with one another on the positive side. And then we'll look at the negative. But joy comes through the gospel of grace, creating fellowship with one another. And you see this in James's declaration. He says in verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. 
Meaning, we shouldn't add to the gospel stipulations so that the people not like us, well, you got to start being us. Do you see? That, that's what was going on. Oh, if you want to be part of the people of God, well, you need to look like us, dress like us, talk like us, shop where we shop, do what we do. You need to look, smell, and, and just be everything like us. We're monolithic. That's what happens when you insist on anything outside of the gospel as criteria for coming to Christ. And James says, we do not want to trouble people. See, trusting Christ, trusting the gospel, will result in us being aware of others. That's what happens. We become, we love God and we love neighbor. And, and this is what happens here in verse 20. He says, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual morality and from what has been strangled and from blood. And I, I mentioned last week, they're referring to the pagan cult, the pagan temples. What would go on there? Sh certainly, you need to repent of idolatry and sexual morality. That's kind of, that's repent and believe the gospel. But there's other elements here, eat meat strangled and, and from blood. And so some people have taken that is, you know, when you go to Texas you know, Roadhouse or Longhorns, you better make sure your, your, your meat's well done. Well, I got news for you. I eat mine medium. I want a little pink. I see you, Cameron. You know, he's wearing a pink shirt. Of course he likes that. Uh, <coughs> it's okay. But here's what's going on. There's a cultural divide. A Jew would not go eat that meat sold in the market. Because it's tainted, it's filthy, it will make them unclean. And what James and the others are saying, all right, Gentiles, yes, you're being brought in, but hey, let's be sensitive, culturally speaking, to your bro Jewish brothers and sisters. They're not going to trouble you, they're not going to expect more of you that you become a Jew, ethnically, but when you're gathered together, you, you need to abstain from these things. And he says, why? Because from ancient generations, Moses has been, has in every city, um, everywhere, proclaimed. Or he's read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Jews were coming in. This is Christianity coming out of Judaism. Where were the churches? They were synagogues. And some synagogues believed in Christ. But you're entering a different culture. And they're saying, these Gentiles, when you come in, you're coming to the potluck. It's going to be like wiping your mouth off on the napkin sitting at the table if you don't consider them. And so they write a letter basically stating these things. And at the end, see that verse 30, they were sent off, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, a man named Judas. They went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Here's the deal. What's going on with these, with what this message, this letter said, brought joy. It brought freedom. It brought relationship. And you see it in verse 33 that when some of them left, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. Here's what happens when the gospel infiltrates a church creates peace, creates joy, creates fellowship with people who otherwise wouldn't hang out. Because it understands what is really important, right? 
So I want to help us see this just a little bit more because just a little tip, when you see things in Acts, you oftentimes just get kind of a surface level of, of principles that are expounded more in the epistles. The letters written by Paul, Peter, James. And I want to take us to Romans chapter 14 where Paul expounds on this a little bit more. So if you go over just one book of the Bible to your right and go to Romans chapter 14, the same issues happening at the church of Rome, except it's just the inverse. You're now in Rome, and there's some Jews, right? And how do they, how do they interact? Now the Jews are in the minority, where the Gentiles, the, the, the Romans, are in the majority. So how are they to interact? And it's the same principles we see here. Look in verse 13 of chapter 14. Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. So there, let us not pass judgment on anyone because they're what? Different. Passing judgment because you don't obey our rules, our customs, our traditions, our heritage. Don't pass judgment on them. What that would look like for the Gentiles is, is passing judgment on the Jews, you rule keepers. Don't you realize that we can, we can do whatever we want now on Saturday? Don't you realize we can eat whatever we want? And they would shame the ones who thought in their conscience, I can't do that, that's, that's breaking God's rules. Don't judge the other one. Or vice versa. Oh, you pagans, you just you do whatever you want. You hang out with all those sinners. You go to the market, and you know where that meat came from? It came from the temple prostitutes at the temple. You're unclean, and you can see how they were judging one another. And Paul says, don't, don't do that. It's not the basis by which you were accepted by God. But then he goes on, he says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So yeah, you don't judge one another based on that, but Gentiles don't slap it in their face or vice versa. Be, be sensitive to one another. But I want you to see what maturity in the gospel looks like. And this is where I want to press us. What does it look like to truly understand the joyful gospel of grace? Paul expounds here in verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That's an important principle. Especially in our day and age as we're struggling now how to interact in the culture. I'm going to get a little bit more specific later in the sermon, but you will see things, that's now unclean. That place is unclean. Don't do that. We're just creating new laws and forgetting the gospel of grace. It's not what on the outside that makes man unclean. It's the things that come out from his heart. And when you understand that, there's great joy and freedom in Christ. He goes on. Notice what he says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So your conscience bothers you. I shouldn't do that. Shouldn't eat that. Shouldn't go there. Shouldn't listen to that. Well, if you go against your conscience, now you're, you, you think you're, it, it is unclean for you. This gets complicated, I know. But he goes on, verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So here's, here's what I want us to see. True freedom in Christ says, guess what? I'm free in Christ to lim limit myself out of love for another. 
if I understand the freedom I might have, that nothing is really unclean. But my other brother or sister thinks it is unclean. I don't say, come on, get over it. Let's go. Stop being a prude. Let's go. Wake up. Stop being a fundy. You know, that's the type of language someone might say. We need to be sensitive. For oftentimes, we tout freedom in the gospel as, well, I, don't have, I can insist on my rights. Paul says, no, 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 no. You're no longer walking in love when you do that. So look at what he says in verse 16. He keeps going. He says, so do not let what you regard to be good to be spoken of as evil. Then, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So often the things that we talk about, Christians should, shouldn't do these things, all this, he says, you can fill in the blank, the kingdom of God is not a matter of that, whether I should or shouldn't. And we'll talk a little bit more, because I know some of you are thinking, that means we can just licentiousness? No, Paul got accused of that as well. Do not sin so that grace may abound. Let it never be. Verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. Do you see that? So if you serve Christ, it's another way of saying you're a Jesus follower. You love him. You worship him. You're acceptable. There it is. He doesn't say based on where you shop or what clothes you wear, what you eat or don't eat. He says, do you worship Jesus? You're acceptable. And approved by men. At least that's what should be happening. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. That's where I want to encourage us this morning. That's what the gospel can produce in us, the joy and freedom of building each other up. So therefore, I don't shame the brother or sister who thinks such and such is a sin, even though the scriptures don't condemn it, but they have brought up in thinking that that's, that is. Or vice versa, we don't shame the one who, who doesn't necessarily fit into your mold of what you think is culturally acceptable. So that's kind of the positive side. We're freed up. So let's look at, this is kind of the second half that I wanted to get to last Sunday. The opposite is true then. So if, if we, joy comes through the gospel of grace, then Setting up external rules, laws, righteousness squelches joy. It does the exact opposite, right? And I want you to see this. Um, go back to Acts chapter 15. And so gospel creates fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. If you insist on external rules and regulations as basis for acceptance before God, you will therefore not have fellowship with God and not have fellowship with one another. Don't you see what Peter says in his testimony? He's talked about how God has saved the Gentiles through faith, and he says, verse 10, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? You should be thinking of the wilderness generation of Israel, wandering in the wilderness, Hey, Moses, you let us out in the wilderness, and you're just going to starve us. And then God comes in, and you know, like manna from heaven comes down and provides for them. Oh, thank you, God, you're so good. Next week, man, we're tired of eating this manna. 
And you see what were they, they were putting God to the test. They were provoking him to anger. When we insist on external rules beyond the gospel as a basis for acceptance before God and with us, we are putting God to the test. We are provoking him to anger. Why? Because we're undermining the great, wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're undermining the work of Christ on the cross, which actually cleanses us from sin. And so it provokes God to anger to do so. But I want you to see that this will naturally also prevent fellowship with others. Peter goes on and he says, Why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. What's a yoke? A yoke is a big old harness you'd put on an ox. And he would carry a wagon or carry um, lots of materials. We see this in Haiti. They don't have oxen sometimes doing it, but they have a little scooter with 15 people on it, and they're all like balancing like at a circus, a bunch of stuff. Imagine that being put on your neck, and you're hunched over. The picture is you're burdening people. And Peter says it's a yoke. It's keeping you locked in. It's slavery. You're treating people like an ox when you expect more than God does. And he goes on, he says, the reason this is unbearable is because it's also impossible. And he reflects on his own heritage, and he says, none of us were even able to keep the rules. We nor our fathers, but verse 11, we believe will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to contrast that with what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Just listen. Think about what the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the rule keepers, the ones who looked really good on the outside, what they would be saying to people, and then listen to Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what I want to ask us, church. What we're communicating to one another and to the world, would they say, the yoke of Christ is light? Or would they say, no, no, the only way I could ever be a part of that group is if I matched up. If I fill up the list, and they look at that and they say, I could never I can never meet that, that standard. What are we communicating? This is what happens when we forget the gospel. This is why Acts 15 is so important. And what this will naturally do is it starts to divide people. You therefore prevent fellowship, right? No one else can get in the group because you have gone beyond what God calls for. So I want us to think about this really practically. What are some new laws that Christians sometimes trouble people with? What are things that we, we have brought up thinking and they just kind of get brought into, well, this is the litmus test for if you're really a Christian. 
or this is the litmus test if you want to be part of our group. Things that we maybe not verbally would say, oh yeah, these things are required, because most of us know better, that's not the gospel, but maybe implicitly through our lives, our conversations with one another, the things we post on social media, what are we communicating that says, oh yeah, this is really what it means to be a Christian? Here's things that I've noticed, not just here, just Christianity in general. But some of these things certainly, I'm sure, apply to us. Think about educational choices. This is the Christian way to educate your kids. And oh, oh no, oh, we're, we're fine, you know, public, private, homeschool, whichever way you do it. But then it's very clear, maybe your way is superior. You know? Those homeschoolers don't care about the mission of the church. They're just locking all their kids up and going to isolate them. They're going to be socially awkward, and they're just not going to contribute to society. All those public school kids, man, their parents must not love them. They don't understand what's going to go on. They're going to be indoctrinated, and they're never going to come to Christ. All the private school, well, you know, well, they just don't, they, they, they can't commit. I'm making stuff up here. But anyway, uh, <laughs> We, we, we go and we can justify our, ourselves or how to vote. Christians, they'll vote for this party or this person. And they won't vote for that person. And to do otherwise is just not Christian. You don't see any of that out there, I know. Bible translation. You think I'm going one way, but I'll give you another example. Am I... I was a church, a seminary, young girl came to our college ministry. I was Cody Bishop. Sarah and I were Cody and Christian Bishop, the University of Southern California. Girl had come into the church, and, and um, she got a new Bible. And she wanted to show me, and she said, hey, Chase, I, I got a new Bible. I, you know, it's some sort of leather bound. And one of my more mature Christians said, yeah, but it's just the message. It's not even a real translation. It's more like a paraphrase. It's not the word of God. Right in front of me and her, and I, and I, was, I mean, it left me like, what, what do I do? I mean, I, I don't prefer that translation. I, I do think some of the things it said is true, but the way, the tone, it just was just dismissive. And actually, you know what, there's all kinds of little groups. Well, you know, NIV is the way to go. No, NIV is not faithful. No, King James is only. You know what, Paul didn't have any of those. <laughs> you know that? Jesus didn't have any of those. But yet, they're now the litmus test. Theological maturity, that kind of falls in there. People can't get into your group because they're not seminary trained. Or they're not taught well enough or they didn't grow up in the church they don't know the lingo roles of men and women yes the bible has a specific um, um, roles that it describes but we sometimes take it to the nth degree and the dads you, you know you don't you know, some of you dads don't think you wipe diapers or change diapers or you don't wash the dishes or you don't vacuum or you you've got all these those are women jobs where, where where do you see any of that in the bible but you portray a biblical man, a so-called biblical manhood and womanhood that actually isn't true. 
and it's a burden. Or those single women who, who can't do maybe what other women in our church can do. But when we hold it up as this is what it looks like to be a biblical woman or this is what it looks like to be a biblical man but out by rules instead of the principles of the scripture you burden people. You exclude people. Where to shop? That one's becoming more popular. Christians will not shop X, Y, or Z. I'll use a non-current example. I had an individual in my previous church I served at wouldn't go to Starbucks because Starbucks has paganism on the front of the cup. Sure, I bet it does. It's some goddess, I'm sure. Do you know that Time Warner, Ryan? Where is Ryan? Ryan McGee? It's got the all-seeing eye of Ra, the pagan Egyptian god, is their logo. You know what? Every company, guess what, isn't? Most companies aren't Christian. Okay. Nothing is unclean in and of itself. But yet we then set these new externals. Christians can't go do that. I say, well, I don't impose that upon everybody else. You just share it like crazy all over Facebook and shame the ones who don't agree with you. That's what happens. Happens in our side conversations. You have people over for, you know, community group, and you bring a neighbor friend. Are you aware of where they might be and the things that you just assume that you can talk about and everybody agrees and you just go off on your little hobby horse, but you're not aware of the fact that person might not have a clue what you're talking about or might actually have a different perspective and, and you, they never want to come back because well, clearly I'm not going to be welcome. You think through those things. That's what's going on in Acts 15 over meat. We just have to contextualize it. What, what does that mean for us in 21st century southern Indiana? And what I want us to understand is that love actually regulates our behavior. Love does this. Love is, we're now able to love because of the gospel. We understand that Christ forsook his own glory and rights and sought us out. I'm now free to do the same for others. It's a different mindset than I will insist on my rights because I can. You see that difference of perspective? That's true freedom. But a failure to recognize this is why I think we have many splintering churches. We want to insist on our preferences, on our rights, not in realizing that true maturity in the gospel says I'm free to sacrifice for others. Therefore, we have the white churches and the black churches. We have the contemporary churches, the traditional churches. We have the poor churches, the, the wealthy churches. And we, we've got all these preferences that create us divide. And I so, said, well, how do we do something about it? Well, it's never the answer, well, they need to adjust to us. Which is usually why the splinter happens, right? Well, if they just don't like it, they can go somewhere else. And here's really where I'm, I'm, I'm pushing us to think, and, and the Lord's been working in my own heart. I, I'm not coming up here telling you I, I, I don't do all these things, because I do. We do. We just don't realize it sometimes. Just like I didn't realize wiping my mouth on the napkin in Haiti was such an offense. And I want us to think through what it looks like to think of others so that we are actually sharing the gospel, not our law. You get that? Are we sharing the gospel 
of whose yoke is light and burden is easy, or are we sharing our righteousness? What are we doing? And how might we be more sensitive to that? Here's where I want us to look one other place. 1 Corinthians. Here's the good news. All these churches in the Bible have the same problem, so we can look at it for our own benefit. But 1 Corinthians, and this kind of moves us into, are we, are we living in such a way that we don't prevent fellowship with unbelievers? And what I mean by that, are we living in such a way that we can be around the world, not of the world, And can we be in a position to share the gospel with them? Or have we created such a bubble of law righteousness that we've isolated ourselves? And no one can come in because it's back to the Pharisee and 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 the leper. They're unclean. Don't touch them. Therefore, we'll isolate ourselves. And the truth is, just like Peter said, you can't live up to that standard. Because I guarantee you don't go to every restaurant and check out what the owner is investing in. Or checked every internet company and made sure that nobody lets pornography through. It's impossible to live works-based righteousness. It's impossible. And the scriptures provide a better way. And Paul speaks of it here in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 19. Same issue, Gentile church being unsensitive to people. And Paul says, uses himself as an example, he says, for though I am free from all, he understands the gospel, I'm free. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Okay, we want to do that. That's what Jesus did. Paul's just following his footsteps. Imitate me as I follow Christ. So what does that look like? He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. But look at his side comment. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. What's he talking about? I want to reach the Jew who thinks they must obey the law. Well, I'm going to start obeying the law just for the purpose of being able to have a conversation with them. I'm willing to sacrifice my rights to win them. Look at it on the other side, the freedom side. To those outside the law, code language, rampant sinners, okay? Everybody who's not a Christian. And think of them in your most extreme caricatures, okay? I became as one outside the law. But notice his side coming here, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. What's he saying here? I'm willing to go where they're going because I know there's nothing unclean. But I'm not going to do what they do. Here's an example. Jesus was the friend of sinners, right? Of prostitutes and tax collectors. He was having meals with these people. Would you have... Our modern-day prostitute and the stigma, a gay couple over to your house for dinner with your community group, and would they be able to be there? 
Jesus could. But that doesn't mean that Jesus was at the brothel as it was going on. Or the tax collector who was swindling people. Could a swindler, could a crook, could the jerk in the neighborhood come to your house? It doesn't mean you're promoting his lifestyle. Jesus didn't go on the swindling runs. But he says, I'm going to meet at your house today. And he shares the gospel with them. That's what Paul is saying. I'm willing to be with those people even though it stretches me and I might not like being in those settings. I can be around them. That's what true gospel maturity looks like. I can be in both fields because I'm free. The gospel of grace. So I say this with some sensitivity just because it is kind of the issue that I see kind of coming up and I don't want to be driven by anything, but this whole issue on bathrooms. I know it's complex, but you going to the bathroom somewhere in a store doesn't make you complicit with someone's sinful choices. Because guess what? You've been going to the bathroom with liars and adulterers all along. And people addicted to pornography whose lust control them. Now you might say, no, 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 but it's more about the danger. Okay. Is an adulteress or someone addicted to porn not dangerous? You weren't worried about them. Has it just created this whole, yeah, I mean, there's always risk involved. I I just want, you know, we create, I don't know them, so I fear what could happen, and we create the worst possible scenario for me not to love them. Or you can just not go to the restroom there. You don't, nothing says that you had to go there. So I want us to think it's not law. You have to think through this as Christians. That this is the right place to shop. That's not the right place to shop. Look at what Paul says here in verse 22. To the weak I became weak. You know who he's talking about? The person who doesn't understand the freedom of the gospel. They're weak. Their consciences are weak. They're they're sensitive. They live in the rules and regulations. They haven't yet quite grasped it. But notice, he doesn't shame them. And that's where, on the other side, those of you who think you're strong, look at what Paul, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Just picking up with that same example. If I know someone in my church, in our church, is struggling with this whole bathroom issue in public stores and all the things. Or if they express that to me, our reaction should not be, goodness, you're, you're weak. Or you just don't get the gospel. Or get over it. Or, I mean, this would be an equivalent analogy. You know, someone says, hey, I need to pick something up at the store, and you, and you know that that's an issue for them, and you just say, well, I always go to Target, let's go there. Being aware. It's not your job to kind of fix what you think's wrong. But you love them, and we have these conversations. Paul's having these conversations. Hey, it's okay to go to those places. You're not supporting it. It's not going to infect you. You can win them. 
And I just want to say on that other side, if you go down that road, if you're struggling there, you're not going to be able to live up because you can't isolate yourself, ultimately. And if you try to, you will ultimately cut yourself off from the world, and we won't reach anybody. So there's a balance here, and it's complicated, I know. But there's freedom, there's grace, and the gospel. But that doesn't mean then we participate in what goes on. This is what Paul does with Timothy, and we'll end here. Jump down to chapter 16. There's whole discussion on whether you can circumcise, whether you should. They conclude, no, you don't circumcise the Gentiles, those Greeks. But look at what Paul does in chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek probably was an unbeliever his father was and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew his father was a Greek why are you doing this Paul I thought we just settled the issue not to trouble those and now you're adding the law onto them why is he doing this that's what he said in 1 Corinthians to the Jew I became a Jew He's already said he's a believer. But now he's saying, hey, let's go reach these people, Timothy. And Timothy's probably in his 20s. Put that together. Let's go. So we can reach them. He's, not, he's able to limit himself now. And he can go into that territory. Able to share the gospel. And as a result, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. And they increased in numbers daily. If you're going to increase in numbers, you're going to bring in different people. And we're going to have to learn how to live with them at different stages of their life. And maturity in the gospel and understanding of the freedom of grace. But God's gospel is good. It has lifted the burden of the law from us and has made us acceptable by the blood of Jesus Christ and as people saved by God's grace, then we are to extend the same grace to others, not worrying that acceptance is based on performance. And when this occurs here at Oak Park, and by and large, I just want to let you know, I do think it occurs. I just want us to, there is application for us. We need to see where our blind spots are. But when this occurs, it becomes attractive to the world. A world that's seeking acceptance. And we say, we're a bunch of broken people too. Come to Jesus and be accepted. All right, let's pray and we'll be, I think we got one more song and we'll be dismissed. Lord, these are difficult subjects, which would have been difficult for the church in the first century. People struggling, are, are we compromising? How could this be? But Lord, you don't leave us to ourselves. You don't leave us in our same spot. You push us forward. You mature us. You mold us. You shape us into the image of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you've done that with us this morning. I know you've been working in my own personal heart and how the Sears family addresses how can we be 
using our freedom to serve others. Lord, I pray that you're doing the same in our hearts collectively. We've listened and we've looked at the text and we're we're trying to wrestle, how does this look like in our family? And collectively, what does this look like in this church? And Lord, just as Paul and Timothy went about, I pray that we would be strengthened and Lord, that you would increase our numbers because we're extending the light, gentle yoke of Christ that isn't a burden, that brings rest, that brings joy, that brings fellowship. I pray these things in your name. Amen.